Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Thanks for taking a moment to take a look at the book with us. I hold in my hand a five-hour, five-part series on the passion and prophecy. Now, of course, the passion is referring to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In this audio series, I explain the connection between the passion of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and what happened that week, and Bible prophecy. In this discussion, as we take a look at the book in the next few moments, we're going to talk about the place of the Passion. Where actually in Jerusalem was Jesus Christ crucified? There are several locations that have been suggested, but there's only one, according to the Bible, that is absolutely correct. Take a moment with us now, and let's take a look at the book, and we'll be back to tell you how you can get your copy of The Passion and Prophecy. Take your Bible and turn over the book of Acts. I mentioned this verse last time we were together. Acts chapter 6. Let me show you what really got me to thinking. There's one little verse in here that just blew me away and got me to thinking about this whole subject of the place. And folks, thank you for laboring through this study with me. It's not the exciting, sensational, man, everything's coming together at the last minute but it is very significant as we understand the authenticity of the Word of God, as we see how God set it all up. It's important, I believe. I'm so excited about this. This is the first time I've given it, and I'm so excited about it. I can't already stand it. Maybe you noticed. But, uh, uh, I mean, because it winds my clock. I, I'm charged to believing this is the truth, man. The more I study, the more sure I am this is the truth. You know, you, you dig, keep digging. You say, well, there must be a mistake here somewhere, you know. And, uh, but I, everything I find in here is, oh, man, it gets better and better. I was reading Acts one day, and I got to chapter 6 and verse 7. Look at this. It's tucked right in here. It's great. And the word of the Lord increased. Now, you know chapter 6. They've just selected a group of men who are going to serve the tables. Basically, we become deacons. The word deacon's not used here. Uh, but all the other things have happened. Uh, they had the Pentecost and the many people getting saved, and, and then persecution started. That's uh, Acts 1 to 5. And now we get to chapter 6. They picked these men to serve tables. Verse 7, And the word of the Lord, the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Look at here. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. 28,000 priests served that temple in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus Christ. 28,000. A great company of priests turned to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let me emphasize what I may have already said. These men from two years of age to 30 years of age had memorized the book of Leviticus. They knew the system of sacrifice. They knew the standard for the priests, the system of worship. They knew it all. And yet they turned to Jesus Christ. They knew everything that God had given them. All the types in the Old Testament, they knew. But now, a great company. How many is that? Half of them? 14,000? That's good enough for me. I mean, if 14,000 die-in-the-wool priests who have studied it all turned to Jesus Christ, something happened. What was it? And I started thinking, man, I, I, you know, I don't have any hobbies except studying the Word of God. I don't play golf. That's stupid. And, uh, I mean, if I want to walk in the woods, I don't want to chase a little white ball, you know. But, uh, so, I, sorry, some of you guys. 
your ladies too. Uh, but when I got on this verse, I just, every waking moment, I couldn't get away from it. Why did these priests turn to Jesus Christ? And I got to thinking, maybe there was something in what he did and where he did it. And so I said, well, really, what brings anybody to Jesus Christ? Belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? That's the gospel. Gospel, power, God, and salvation. I want to believe in the Jew first and also the Greek. The gospel, death, burial, and resurrection. That's what brings us to Christ as, as our Savior. And I said, well, something connected with that. And then all of a sudden, something shot me back to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, a very interesting couple of verses came out to me, afresh and anew, having studied this, having studied the temple, the coming temple, and all everything that is associated with it. That was a nice watch there. <laughs> Um, and so I got to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. We have an altar. And I know what Hebrews is talking about. I have studied Hebrews. Hebrews is talking about that which is better. That which is better. It's there in every aspect. That which is better. But now he's talking at the end of the book about something that's better, what Jesus is going to do. But look at what he says, verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now, I've got to explain this a little bit because I studied the book of Leviticus as well. And I know that when the tabernacle was set up, the tabernacle was set up and it was rectangular. Okay? Just imagine with me as you look up here at the front that we have a rectangular structure here. And the tabernacle was a transportable worship center. It had curtain walls. Uh, the book of Ezekiel, uh, of Exodus, lays it all out. And the tabernacle would face out to the east. The tabernacle, uh, the holy of holies, and then the holy place, and then the open uh, curtained wall and then the open curtain wall over here at the edge of the border of the tabernacle, and then it faced out to the east, and there was an altar outside of the gate. There was an altar over here to the east that they were supposed to do some things with. Leviticus chapter 4, Leviticus chapter 1 tells you the altar is to the east, and you're to take, for example, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest would go uh, to, would slaughter a bull and the, bullock and then go in with the blood into the Holy of Holies and pour it on the Ark of the Covenant. And then they would come out and take this bullock and take it outside the tabernacle complex at the time of Jesus Christ or at the time of the temples, outside the temple, and they would take it to an altar to the east outside of the camp for the purpose of burning that remains of that of the bullock. That's what it says right here. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Now, wait a minute. It says no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Do you know that the sacrifices on the altar inside the tabernacle, inside the temple complex, the priests could eat from? That's what the book of Malachi is talking about. Why do you bring me a blemished sacrifice? Why do you bring me something that's not pure and perfect? Without blemish. I'm, you're hurting yourself. I mean, that's appropriate for this. That'll preach, boy. Don't bring me that which is secondhand. Bring me the best. Because I'm going to return it to you. And that's what he's saying to these priests. 
And they would eat of those sacrifices made on this altar. But this altar without the camp, the priest could not eat of. This was a desecrated altar because dead things were here and the remains of those sacrifices were to be taken there. And it was an unclean altar. And so the priest couldn't eat over there. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts, it goes ahead to explain it, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. That's Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27. If you want to look it up, Leviticus 4, 20 to 21. Now look at here, verse 12. Look at this. Wherefore, Jesus also, <laughs> look at here, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate or without the camp. Let us go forth therefore into him without the camp bearing his reproach. Now things are starting to zero in to me. Hey, wait a minute. There's an altar outside the camp. There's an altar that no man can eat of. There's an altar that Jesus was taken to. What did I say to you? I said that here was the tabernacle. Now let's come down to the time of Jesus Christ. Here's the temple. The temple, rectangular in shape, 21 stories high, sitting on Mount Moriah, the holy temple mount in Jerusalem, looking to the east. Here's the eastern gate. Here's the Kidron Valley. Here's the Mount of Olives. And here's that altar outside the camp. There's a bridge in the time of Christ that extended from the eastern gate across the Kidron Valley. It was three-tiered so the priest could walk across it and not be impure because of the graves that were below in the Kidron Valley. Three tiers, according to Halakhic ruling, rabbinical ruling, purifies them. And it went to that altar over there. I'm saying, wait a minute. Is this telling me that the, the true place of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ could be on the Mount of Olives? Not to the west over here at the Holy Sepulchre? Not to the north over here at the Garden Tomb? But instead to the east? Maybe I better study the narratives. Indeed, the location of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to understanding how the Passion worked to fulfill Bible prophecies from the ancient Jewish prophets. You've been listening to a section of an audio series, five hours, five different parts of it, entitled The Passion and Prophecy. It's a study that you need to have. We talk about the period of the Passion, the place of the Passion, the red heifer. How does the red heifer play into this significant end time series and the Song of Songs that's the Song of Solomon plus the Mount of Olives a location essential for the return of Jesus Christ all of this available on this series The Passion and Prophecy you can call our toll free number if you'd like to get your copy of it it's 877-674-3298 once again that number 877-674-3298 it's toll free from across America. Call right now to order your copy of The Passion and Prophecy. Or you can go to our website, www.prophecytoday.com, and make your order that way. 
Whichever way you decide to get your copy of The Passion and Prophecy, you need to have it so you can study it very, very soon. Thank you so very much for taking a few moments with us to take a look at the book. I'm sure that as you study with us this very important subject, you're going to realize how soon the return of Jesus Christ actually really is. In fact, the rapture, which is the first step in the second coming of Christ, could actually take place at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until...